For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat, episode 192 of this lovely podcast. I am joined by just Amanda tonight as Ryan is taking the night off. Uh, and the Nats themselves got an unexpected off day to, due to the weather, so they will be playing a doubleheader tomorrow or today if you're li- listening to this on release day. But I am joined by Amanda. You can follow her on Twitter at AWhite7877. You can follow myself, change my handle at the Coach Moose. Found a better one, liked it better, changed it, no big deal. And the show at Half Street High Heat and Ryan, if if you miss him so much like we do, at We Are All Shack. Amanda, what's going on? Not too much. A weather weather rain out tonight for the well, snow here where I am in Winchester. We got three <laughs> yeah, that, inches. That's absurd. Three inches of snow out here today. It snowed like hard, fat snowflakes for hours this afternoon. I couldn't believe it. I'm so bitter. Nobody wants to hear about me spending the afternoon looking at charts for how cold it can be before it hurts my peach and pear blossoms, but that's what I did. And uh, I'm pretty upset about it. Other than that was good. Easter was fun. Everybody's doing well. I wish baseball would, uh, would come on back. I guess we get two tomorrow, but I won't be able to watch the day game most likely. I love day games during the week. I mean, it's a product of working from home, so I can just throw it on, but I understand that's not the case for everyone. And, you know, if I wasn't able to work from home, I would hate day games. So I understand it, but <laughs> sucks for y'all. Like I'm going to enjoy some daytime baseball tomorrow. <laughs> like, I that, know. Just... <laughs> well, I, I'm going to try to get back in time to get some of it, but I have appointments. So we'll see. I'll probably listen on the radio. Like I do to most of the games during the day. So That'll I was, uh... how was your Easter? Oh, we didn't do anything. We're moving soon. So it's, it's just all packing and, you know, trying to prep for that. So nothing exciting here. No um, eggs for you. No chocolate. No, no, no I'm good. <laughs> uh, Easter, well, I, no, I'm not going to continue that sentence because I don't want <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to catch myself Easter, in right? hot water. Um, <laughs> ooh, see this maturity uh, on this podcast. Know, look this at you prospect demonstrating maturity <laughs> right here in front prospect of us all. Prospect development. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> um, but no, I was listening to Charlie and Dave. Uh, God. I mean, it was during the Brave series. Just I happened to be out, you know, driving when uh, when the game was on, which isn't normally the case because I've actually gotten pretty lucky. I've been able to watch most of the games uh, so far. But man, they're not that I'm like breaking news to anyone. Everyone knows Charlie and Dave are fantastic, but it had been a while since I listened to them because again, if I am able to, you know, take in the game 
I'm usually watching it, right? And all that stuff, and I'm not typically driving. And granted, you can do it through the app too. Like you can listen to Charlie and Dave through the app, the MLB app. But because I'm streaming the game, I can't, I can never get it to sync up. So I usually, well, up until this year, obviously with Kevin Francis coming aboard, I usually just bit the bullet and listen to the mass and audio. Granted, now you have to bite the bullet and listen to the mass and audio for, you know, other reasons besides the who's in the booth with all the technical issues they're having. Mm. Um, but back to my initial story, just listening to Charlie and Dave again, I was like, man, they are so good. so good. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's well established how much of a homer I am for everything right. that's, but they truly are some of the best because I sometimes just will listen. Like if there's not a Nats game on and I'm in the car, I'll just turn on MLB network radio and listen, you know, to other, you know, to other broadcast teams and stuff. And Charlie, mm-hmm. they truly are fantastic. And they, they play off each other so well, like uh, just a little peek behind the curtains of half street high heat, like, uh, you know, Ryan's not here, but myself, Ryan and Amanda, we always try to think of ways to, you know, build that chemistry. And so we're not talking over each other, or you know, have our phones going off in the background <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. But then you listen to Charlie and Dave or you're just like, uh, it's so good. They have such natural chemistry you're, you're and they've like, been together damn. for so long. Yeah. They do. It's like, God damn. No wonder we're the amateur podcasters and they're, you know, on the radio for 14 years straight or however long it's, I mean, they might've been there since the beginning. I think so. I think so. So what, 17 years and counting. Yeah. That's, that's impressive, man. It they is. Are when so I, they're good. so good. I remember when I was a kid, I used to not be able to watch the games all the time. And uh, obviously it was Orioles then because there were no Nats around. Right. But um, I just remember li- I, I fell in love with listening to baseball games on the radio and listening. 17 to years Nats ago, for- weren't you still an adult? Uh, yes, son. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I already had two kids 17 years ago. So that's cool. Um, anyway, no, I used to listen on the radio when I was a kid. And just, I always loved the way they like painted the picture for you of, you know, like they're wearing the this you know, this Jersey with the, you know, the orange stripes and the black hat. And they would just like paint the picture for you or tell you about the weather. And it was just like, you could see it in your head. And I feel like that's something that Charlie and Dave can do too. They, they just make you feel like you're at the game. And I love it. I I really do enjoy, I prefer to watch the game on TV if I can, just because it's nice to be able to see what's happening. But if you have to listen on the radio, you could do a hell of a lot worse. I, re- I remember what it was. It was not during the Brave series. It was, it was during the Pirate series. They were talking about the Roberto Clemente Bridge and mm. how it's under construction because I guess it's common for fans at Pirates games to park across the bridge, you know, in town somewhere. I don't know Pittsburgh all that well, so I apologize if anyone's yelling at their their phone <laughs> right now. Uh, but they would park in town and then cross the bridge into the stadium. Mm. If you haven't been to Pittsburgh and PNC Park, it's phenomenal. I mean just the absolute beauty of a ballpark and ballpark layout. But that's typically what fans did. But uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, not near PNC Park, but in Pittsburgh, there was a bridge collapse. So I think there's a concerted effort to renovate the bridges and make sure they're all good and all that stuff. Um, But anyways, Roberto Clemente Bridge under renovations and repairs. So they were talking about that. And I mean, that, in in and of itself is not interesting but just hearing charlie and dave talk about it it was like i am so fascinated with what's going on anything interesting yeah Yeah. i am like i am all in 
all in on this freaking bridge. Like, get it, fix it now. <laughs> like, I this was. This is a travesty. Yeah. I'm so yeah. upset. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, for those seven Pirates fans in attendance, this is an outrage. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, no, they, they, they're excellent. And again, not that we're breaking any news, but I just got a, a good, uh, I guess, reappreciation of Charlie and Dave because, man, they're fantastic. So agreed. I, I hope they are locked in for lifetime deals at, at the very, very least. <laughs> We're not letting them go. Right. But even Bob and F or oh, oh. Uh, Bob and Franny. I, I don't really like the name Franny either. Um I wonder how he feels about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to ask him. Uh again, another little sneak peek behind the curtain. Obviously, you, you know, our our long-term fans have known uh we have had kevin franson on the podcast before we are trying to get him again but due to the fact there was the lockout so he was kind of contractually not allowed to speak or he, or he just didn't want to like put himself in a in a tough spot which we understand and respected um and then it was a quick start to the season 17 games to open the year so we just haven't been able to get you know on, schedule on similar schedule yet, but we're right on it we're working on it and he's obviously a really good guy. So we're hoping to have him back on the show soon. Um, but I, I thought he, he's been doing a really good job and he's been a, a topic of conversation that we haven't talked about on the show yet. And even really in the spaces, but I've seen, I, I think all of us have tweeted about it and I've seen other people tweet about it. Kevin Francis keeps it real. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we hated about FP quite frankly. And you see all of the the, the memes and, and tweets. It's like if FP was commentating these games, he'd be like, oh, there's something special brewing when we're down 11-2 in the ninth. <laughs> like it, it just stuff like that that would rub you the wrong way. Whereas it's homerism that put my homerism to shame. Right. And <laughs> Kevin Franson, you know, was in the league not too long ago. Like he's been on some bad teams mm-hmm. Um and he just has a good perspective on it and he keeps it real. Like he was very mad at Fetty who we will talk about for just not attacking the strikes and, you know, nibbling. When you look on Twitter, everyone's mad at Fetty for nibbling. And here's Kevin Franson saying what we're thinking. And it's just like, mm-hmm. we can relate a little bit more. He, yeah, he's, he's a little blunt and, and direct, especially in comparison to FP and, you know, everyone knows how I feel about FP. Um, right. But, but I think there are some fans who who like the homerism and for them, that might be a little bit, you know, of a, of a shock to the system. But I, I think for people who are affiliated with the teams and are doing commentary, there's a really difficult and fine line to walk between, you know, giving real commentary and, you know, speaking your mind about what is and isn't going well for the team and who's doing well and who isn't, and, you know, not upsetting the apple cart too much, but also, you know, feel giving the fans a feeling of real commentary as opposed to just you know kind of parroting the party line if that makes sense and i think he's doing a really good job of it right like you can't be authentic if you don't speak on what's actually going on with the team and that was one thing that was really tough to listen to with fp is just like listen i get sometimes you want to keep things positive i mean hell we've tried to have tried positive vibes, positive vibes only yeah, yeah attempted. it didn't last episodes very long, like we, we've <laughs> tried so i get that but again you to, in order to be authentic you need to really you know not report they're not reporters but you need to commentate on the state of the team if someone's having a terrible game 
like for instance i'll give you guys listening an example michael franco who we will talk about as well i mean horrible horrible game i believe it was yesterday sunday um defensively uh two errors in one play bobbled the ball and then threw the ball away and franson kind of you know it, it wasn't overly harsh but he, he let it know that that just is unacceptable that's the kind of stuff i like it's not just you know directness and you know overly blunt for the sake of being blunt it's you know just kind of holding people accountable that's what i love that's the kind of commentating i love and you kind of see bob adapting his style like for a while there at least me i might be in my the minority here but i thought bob was kind of washed too like it seemed like he was just kind of falling into the same old patterns and now you see bob kind of like he gives a couple uh little snarky comments there and uh specifically with the whole masson situation because obviously the nats uh bob and and franson and orioles uh are not on the road with the team they're the only teams or the broadcast teams sucks right they're the only broadcast teams in baseball not to be doing that like the angels were there for a while but the angels had a terrible broadcast over the weekend and bally sports is their uh or bally sports bally sports i don't know how you pronounce it bally sports kind of admitted they're like all right this was terrible and now they're sending their crews uh on the road with the team so now masson is the uh, final regional broadcast not to be sending its crews with the team. And they had that game, was it game one or game two, where literally it just, the, the picture even came yeah. out, and we were listening to not only the audio, but what sounded like the audio on a tinny video it, it, from 1964. Yeah, so I didn't experience that because I streamed through MLB TV, and apparently the MLB TV stream was fine, but everyone watching through Cable and Masson was screwed. So you heard Bob and Franson have to resort to more of a radio style broadcast, which was cool of them to do, but they shouldn't have to do something no, like that. No, they should not have to do that. So it's just, it has been very interesting to see not only the addition of Kevin Franson to the broadcast. Good with but, radio style broadcast because he was right, just doing right. that for the Phillies. But how that's, you know, shifted. Bob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I like it. Again, I, I I see why it might be a little bit jarring going from, you know, one extreme to I, w- I wouldn't call Franson, you know, the other extreme, but he's more I might, though, on that not side. Extreme maybe isn't the right word, but like a totally he's on the other side of the spectrum. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah de- definitely a, an opposite style uh, from which is interesting because I think he and FP are buddies. Like from my understanding, they're good friends. So it's interesting. I mean, styles are to- so entirely. I'm not right. gonna. I'm not gonna condemn him because of who he keeps company <laughs> with. Um, but I, I, his style of broadcast, and you know, you guys listening, you know how we are on the show. Like our style of podcasting is more in line with Kevin Franson's style of commentating. Like we keep it real, and maybe we're overly harsh and you know, are not afraid to criticize when sometimes you just need to let it go. But again, our style matches up with Franson's style a little bit more. And I, I like it a lot. I'm, ha- I'm having a good time actually listening to, you know, what they're saying. And again, like the Fetty situation, everyone was pissed because Fetty, you know, could be with really effective. Like yeah. He could be really effective. He just pitched a contact, but instead he's nibbling and nibbling and it's it's incredibly frustrating to watch 
And so it was good to hear Franson, who, you know, clearly knows way more about baseball than we do, you know, echo that and, and just kind of let it be known that he shouldn't be doing that, especially with the lead. So it, it, it was cool to watch. And again, I'm having a good time hearing Kevin Franson and Bob, like give Bob all the credit in the world. Like he's, he's a true pro having to adapt his style to his, his new broadcast partner. So I'm having a good time and it feels weird. I wish it wasn't Matt's Masson, but you know, yeah. I'm listening to them and that's a whole a different can of worms. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're, again, we're hoping to have Kevin Franson on soon. There's a couple off days, scheduled off days, I should say coming up in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we can get together and connect with Kevin then or Franny, uh, my, I'm going to go I with Kevin. I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I have the, the balls to introduce him as Franny. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if we're at that level yet, but anyways, let's Maybe get into the show. Maybe a couple more doc. times on the podcast before we can right. call Franny. Right. Three <laughs> times at the very least. Um, let's get into the show, Doc. We'll start with a quick pitch. Uh, take it to the general MLB once again, as we like to do. Uh, through nine, some teams are playing 10 games tonight if they're not rained out. Uh, biggest frauds in the MLB 10 game sample size. Uh, so you can't really uh, judge accurately yeah, but it's fun to on judge that, but yeah, anyway, for sure. who, who do you think is the biggest fraud in the MLB? I might have to go Yankees on this one just because they I always, I mean, Ryan yeah. did too. credit where credit is due. Yeah, it's uh, they, they just always think they're going to go win the world series every single year and every single year. I feel like their weaknesses become apparent very early in the season. That doesn't mean they're going to wind up, you know, in third or they're not going to make the playoffs, but I don't think they are who they think they are. So I will definitely um, put them high on my list. Um, Philadelphia, who's, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to be, they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be maybe winning the division. Good. Um, I don't know. The Mets seem to be at least so far, you know, the Mets are always going to Mets, but for right now, the Mets are kind of kicking ass. Um, and Cincinnati, who's sitting at two and eight right now, they weren't expected to be that good. So maybe putting them on the fraud list is, is not quite accurate, but I thought they'd be, <laughs> they'd be better than that. And again, small sample size, but if we're reacting after nine or 10 games, that's my list. I have two. Uh, the first one in the traditional sense of the word fraud is the Chicago Cubs. Um, mm-hmm. They're better than the Nats. Like they're going to be the comparison for the Nats because they both, were World Series winning teams. They both tore it down officially at the same time. Um, and so they're, for all intents and purposes, on the same trajectory. Granted, the Nats have a generational talent like Juan Soto and the Cubs don't have anyone uh, like that, but they did make the moves the Nats didn't. They signed Marcus Stroman and Seiya Suzuki. Both, well, Suzuki it's especially so fun to watch. Ha- has been awesome for them. Um, so the Cubs are five and four right now. Um, they're playing tonight. They are trying to get the score of that game. Uh, they're up, they're up to one over Tampa. Um, and five and four is like, if, if the Cubs finish with like 80 wins, uh, I'd be like, okay, like that, that's fine. So uh, I'm not going to, you know, jump on the, the anti Cubs bandwagon and say they're frauds. Like Ryan did last year with the San Francisco giants. Who might be frauds again this year, <laughs> but might that rotation be. seven is very, and two right now. But that rotation is very, very good. So I'm not entirely surprised. Um, the the Cubs are one that I will say it's fraud. That, that lineup's not very good. It's not very deep. Um, 
but they're they're doing well so far. They they made Milwaukee's pitching look pretty inferior, which is not the case. Milwaukee's pitching is actually quite good. Um, so there's one. And in the uh, inverse sense of the word, uh, the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are not wow. a 455 team. They are much better than that. Yeah. And are. Ryan touched on it last week or last episode. The early season Atlanta Braves are always like this. A lot of teams are like this early in the season. They do tend to start slow. Right. They don't have Ronald Cunha back, which is obviously a big deal. They've had a couple, uh, you know, key guys with slow starts and and whatnot. They'll be fine. Um, But this is a team that's going to be very, very good. It's built to last, which you can't say for a lot of teams. Um, So, like, they're they're only five and six right now, but they lost the series to the Nats. you know, which happened, that's why the Nats are better than the Braves, but the Braves are better than what they're showing right now. And they will be, you know, so they're, a, they're an safe, opposite, they're right. an opposite broad. Yeah. Right. They will be a safe playoff team come, you know, come that time, come September, October. I so. like both of those. I'm still liking my Yankees pick since they lost to the Orioles five to nothing yesterday. I feel like that's a safe broad pick. Well, technically that was my pick because I had them missing the playoffs and you had them in the playoffs. I still think they're going to make the playoffs, but We'll see. No, we'll see what well, happens. Ryan had them beneath 500. So we'll see. Maybe he's right. Yeah, if they're really frauds, then he'll be right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's recap the Pirates series. Uh, as I'm sure you guys know, Nats dropped three or four to the Pirates, the lowly Pirates. Yikes. Um, so the Nats are somehow better than the Braves, but worse than the Pirates. Like, make that make <laughs> it's sense. It's an enigma. <laughs> right. Game one, uh, this was a kind of disappointing loss. Uh, Joanna Don got the start. Uh, I think we all kind of had high hopes for him Uh, coming off. I mean, I believe he got tagged with the loss against the Mets, but it it was, you know, a promising start. And it's this, I mean, the same issue that's plagued Nats pitchers forever now, it seems like through. 10 games, nine he games, get the fifth. <laughs> couldn't get through the fifth. He did get and, the loss on that. I just checked. Yeah. So his ERA is inflated. It's a, sitting at 10 right now. So everyone's overreacting, which sucks because well, yeah, it, 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 it's fair to an extent, but it sucks because, uh, you know, we're clamoring for these young guys to play, but if we do that, we also can't, you know, deem them as triple A players or as some like to say, quadruple A players that are playing at the major league level. I mean, we can, we just probably you can, but it's just like, it doesn't work both ways. It doesn't, Um, you can't have it. If you want them to play the young guys, you're going to have to suffer through the, the, the slings and arrows of young players figuring it out. Right. So for me, the, I have a couple of silver linings on his start and I'm just going to touch on the pitching for the most part throughout the series. And I'll let you touch on some of the other storylines for me, the promising thing with his start, if I'm trying to find silver linings um, are twofold, his blow up inning was in the fourth inning. He allowed four runs Mm -hmm. comes back in the fourth. Come or his blow up inning was in the third inning. I don't know if I misspoke there, but comes back in the fourth, no earned runs or no runs allowed at all. So he didn't let, what was bad get worse, which we've seen guys like Patrick Corbin, who's supposed to be this team's ace, ha- like allow that to happen. 
and this is a what 23 year old guy, I believe. Um, so a young guy, only his third major league start, it easily could have gotten out of hand. And yes, he was tagged with the loss, but after a full run inning down five, three in the game, you, and you know, your team gets you an early three Oh lead and you squander it like that can tend to unravel, but yeah, and he, he the comes fact back. That he was able to yeah rein it in and get himself back under control. Right. He comes back scoreless inning and then go, actually goes back out there for the fifth gets, uh, you know, allows another run. Davey pulls him, but there was that uh, at least attempt to grit out the start and save the bullpen, which is what we're looking for. He was stretched out to 91 pitches, which is the second thing, because typically we see these guys get gassed or fold, you know, around the 70 pitch mark. And Adon was able to go to 91. Yes. He was tagged with the loss. Yes. He gave up six runs, but again, we're looking for silver linings. And right now the biggest silver lining with this pitching staff is going deep into ball games, or at least attempting to, and not letting those, you know, early blow up innings affect them too much. So that's the thing I liked most about his start. Again, it was kind of a disappointing game coming off the brave series, especially against the pirates, but yeah, we were all on We were all um, unrealistically high on the team after the brave series. So that was a little come down. Um, I also, if I can throw one more silver lining in there on a done start was five strikeouts, which, mm-hmm. you know, you like to see from him. He's not exactly a guy known for high strikeouts, but you know, he only went, less than five innings and he got five strikeouts. So, you know, the 91 pitches and the five strikeouts is, you know, a, a step in the right direction. Obviously, like you said, he took the loss. He gave up a lot of runs. It wasn't a terrific outing, but there were, there were pieces of it that you can take away to say, okay, this is something that he can build on. Yeah, absolutely. What about the lineup? Did you like anything there? Um, this was the, this was a game where Soto went over four, which is very unlike him. Um, Bell had two hits in that game. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot to like about the lineup in this game. I think the only other hits were Hernandez and, uh, Cruz with one each, but it was four hits for the whole game. So it was a pretty lousy offensive showing, but, um, you know, it was one of those where, if you're gonna, if your pitcher is, if you're going to have a guy like that, like a Don on who's young and not you know, super reliable to keep the runs down. You really need your offense to show up and they did not in this game. Yeah, that is for certain. And then the bullpen didn't do great, but it was as we have now deemed them. And it's probably not fair to them. They're probably all very nice guys, but we have deemed them the B team. So you got, um, uh, you got Hunter Harvey, Patrick Murphy. Um, there's one other guy. I know you got Arano. Arano was the only one with the scoreless inning. Um, pulling it up really quick. Oh, and I just oh, misspoke. Andre. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. I forgot Yadiel Hernandez did have three hits in that game, so I will give him yeah. credit where credit is due on that. Yeah, we'll talk about him throughout the rest of the series too. Uh, but uh, Andres Machado was also so Harvey Machado, Murphy, Arano. Um, again, Arano was good. Uh, struck out three, gave up one hit, but struck out three. Hunter Harvey just got the last out of um the inning when a dawn came out, but he did yeah. allow a hit. So Machado and Murphy were not great, but it was more of mop-up duty anyways. But moving on to game two, this was the lone good game in the series. You got the Eric Fetty start, and it looked like it was heading for trouble there. Uh, two runs in the second. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like a 30-pitch second inning. So he was through. Luckily, it was a quick first inning. So he was through two innings on like 40, 45 pitches. So it was quickly heading down. Oh, no, another short start. And it 
that's what it ended up being. He only went five, but two runs, six strikeouts, only two walks. And his, you know, he, he left the game with the lead. And then in the top of the sixth, we got two more insurance runs to take it from a five, two game to a seven, two game. And that allowed Davey Martinez a little bit more flexibility to, you know, he still went to Sean Doolittle in the sixth because that was his plan, right? It was a three run game. You know, that's still a safe situation. So he was going to go with his quote unquote, a team. So that Doolittle was already warming. So he went to Doolittle in the sixth, but then he goes to Austin Voth for the seventh. Again, we now have a five run lead and we all know the Austin Voth experience at this point. We're not going to dive too far into it, but Voth goes out. Yeah. (laughs) Voth goes out there for the seventh and eighth, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts, 21 pitches through two innings. Like that was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a huge performance for both. Hopefully that gets something going good on Davey Martinez for, you know, just shutting us all up and sticking with both. It turned out fine. And then he throws Espino out there for the ninth. Again, five run lead Espino one hit, but otherwise no harm. It was fine. So that was the lone good game, but back to Fetty again, like I talked about with the Don, it could have gotten worse. He didn't let it. And unlike Adon, again, no shot against Adon, but Fetty was able to really settle down, get through at least five, put himself in line for the win, um, and, you know, not give it any more runs. And he was stretched out to 96 pitches. So I'm, you know, saying all these pitch counts to show these work, the workloads for these guys. And hopefully we're starting to see them stretched out and they can go deeper into games, but also not be gassed once they get to 70, 80 pitches as well. So good start by Fetty. And I, I mentioned this. I believe I tweeted this from the half street high heat account. If Fetty develops into a guy, you know, this is his ceiling where it's just five in five to six innings of two, three, four run ball. (laughs) You will absolutely take it. Like he has a spot in every single team, like a four or five ERA is not pretty on paper, but it's valuable in like 26 of the 30 rotations in baseball. So it's like, if this is who he is, hell yeah. Like this, yeah, because it's this better than fine. I thought he was going to be at times mm-hmm. over the past couple of years, for sure. And his ERA is better than that right now. It's a three, six, which is great, but one, three whip is pretty high. So it goes to show he's had some high stress innings early on this season. Hopefully he can knock those down. A large part of that is like Kevin friends and has been saying he's been nibbling a lot when he should mm-hmm. just be pitching the contact, especially when his team has a lead as he did in this past or in his past outing. So little Maybe things, but confidence. we are seeing, yeah, yeah, we are seeing we'll some development him. there. So that's, you know, good signs from Eric Fetty. And but, that's what uh, we're, we're trying to do here. See good things in these, these, you know, your team right. sucks. there's no sugarcoating it, but this was also the game where Hernandez, Soto, Cruz, Bell are one through four. Yes. They had eight hits in mm-hmm. six of the seven RBIs. So this was where the order, not so much. <laughs> right. Well, that's, you know, goes without saying. But this is the game where it's like, oh, if everything goes right, this is what our lineup does mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it was another, it was that same story of the top of the lineup coming through and the bottom of the lineup. Not There was only one hit from the bottom of the lineup and it was from Lane Thomas. So of the 10 hits on the night, that was the only one that came from the bottom three. So again, uh, well, and he's still there was another hit that you're not talking about. Uh, the, the hit big from, one. Yeah, the, the hit from uh, the Pirates pitcher into Alcides Escobar's nuts on uh-huh. the pickoff. That was, that was a big hit. Yeah. <laughs> Us guys know. Was, yeah. It didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't look like him, I, I him can't, falling I have no personal ground, experience. But. Him falling to the ground while trying to call timeout was just like, 
I mean, I think every guy felt that. Like, I know was, my husband was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that was that was tough. So, uh, poor one out for my homie. That was a, that was tough to watch, but. So anyway, I mean, that one ended well, though. It was the one game that, you know, it kind of, it felt, you know, Fetty labored early, but, you know, like you said, he settled in and then the game just felt like it was kind of cruising, but um, that didn't last through to the following game, unfortunately. Yeah. And then games three and four, kind of the same storyline uh, at this point, obviously, even after game three, the Nats are still trying to split the series, which is well within their grasp, but games three and four, it's just like, they were hanging around, hanging around. It could be anyone's game, and then that's just kind of fall apart late. Um, Josh Rogers goes game three. He was okay. Not great, but again, yeah. if Josh Rogers is the, the Fetty type where five innings, maybe six, two, three, four runs, you'll take that. He goes four and a third. Uh, he was you know, doing well for most of the game, and they kind of ran into trouble in that terrible fifth inning that just eludes all Nats pitchers, but you know, four and third, six hits, three runs, two walks, two strikeouts, 76 pitches still fine. Like again, not great, but still fine. C-Shack comes in, pitches uh, an inning and two thirds solid Rano solid. And this was the, the tea bag also known as Kyle Finnegan blow up game gives up two and kind of just unravels from there. Um, so that was game three and then game four, you have the Corbin start, and I don't think anyone had high hopes. Our ace on looked, the mounds. He looked yeah. pretty good, like five and a third. So, you know, he got through the fifth, was going trying to go through the sixth, and then ran into some trouble. But his final stat line was still solid. Three hits, two runs, three walks, four strikeouts, and 92 pitches. Like, he was solid. But then you have the Steve Ciszek blow-up game late where he gave mm-hmm. up three runs in a only a third of an inning. And, you know, it was First blown lead much. of the season for the bullpen, which has been – right surprisingly better than you know i think anybody expected but that was definitely c and i feel like c has been used a lot lately i know there are a couple of games where he stayed away from him but i just feel like we're seeing a whole lot of c right now uh i don't know like i think he it that was his fourth appearance of the season was it fourth or fifth well technically fifth because of the first one where he threw one pitch oh um, well that's an excellent point <laughs> yeah so that might be it but he's only pitched four innings on the season yeah. And, you know, basically two of those came in one, one outing. So yeah, very similar storylines with game three and game four is unfortunate end to the series. You would have liked to have seen the Nets at least, at least split. split the series. Um, but the pirates bottom of the lineup, like that's, it, it's so stupid that we're talking about the, the bottom of the pirates lineup in these games. Being such a challenge for the Nats. It tells you everything you need to know, but they're pesky. Like, in this is game three I'm looking at, if I'm not mistaken. Game three. Yes, because Rodgers was on the mound. Like their lineup went three, four, ten. But that's still 300 average. They had two runs and three RBIs. Like that that's insanely, you know, important production to any ball game. Like that's a ball game altering production. And the Nats are not getting anything remotely close to that. It looked like we were going to on Sunday. You saw Riley Adams check in with us for the first hit of the season that led to an mm-hmm. RBI. And then you saw Victor Robles check in with his first hit of the season that led to two RBIs. So you're like, holy shit. You know, his batting average at- is 0.048. He's got it. <laughs> you're like, holy shit. The, you know, the bottom of the lineup's doing something and, you know, gets us the early lead. This was all in the second inning. Um, you know, 
Adams and Robles being the production and then nothing else came of it. So mm-hmm. it's like, even when we got production from the bottom of the lineup, well, then it, the top it, of the lineup, nothing, every single player had a hit in that game. Every Nets, except um, Hernandez and Soto, except Hernandez and Soto. So you're kind of like, okay, well on the night, Soto at least got on get... base. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And Hernandez has been doing a pretty good job of getting on, even if it's well, only the, once to lead off the game. But that that's what I've been saying in the space is the problem with Hernandez is, you know, he, he was doing fine, but his on base percentage is still not very high. Like his on percent on base percentage is only a few ticks higher than his batting average, which tells mm-hmm. you he's not walking at all, pretty much. So if yeah. he's not hitting like he did in game four of the series, then it, it, you're he's doing nothing like he's not finding ways to get on base which obviously a leadoff guy needs to do and that's the only problem with a guy like him is like again if he's not hitting he's not doing anything for you yeah it seems like he gets that hit at the beginning of the game a lot and then that's all yeah so i mean much else from him and his defense is um leaving something to be desired yeah yeah i mean which is part of the story we should touch on for game four because there was some heinous defense in game four well, yeah, Michael Franco's terrible. He's come crashing back down to earth. Like, I understand he had a couple hits. And if you look at his season numbers, it, it still looks all right. But he is terrible defensively. Uh, Alcides Escobar stinks. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later when we talk about uh, our old friend down in AAA. Um, but, yeah, again, it's just that left side of the infield is – it's tough to watch. And even when they are producing, it's tough to watch because, you know, they shouldn't even be on the field if we're being honest. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. So, but on the bright side, Josh Bell had a great series. That's and very true. And I love Josh team. Bell. Love revenge series too. I'm always, I always enjoy that. Yeah. So he had five hits, five hits in the series, a couple RBI, I think four RBIs couple of runs like had a pretty solid series and he pl- made a couple of nice defensive plays as well. And he has never been necessarily known for his glove and his defensive ability, but he made some nice, nice plays. And it, it sucks because you, you, the more he does well, the more I'm like, please extend him. But again, the more he does well, I'm like, Oh, well he's gone. The more the higher the chances he, he's gone. Yeah. Right. So it, it's very this tough curious. conundrum. It's, yeah, it's a long way off, obviously, to the trade deadline, but I'm very curious to see what strategy the Nats are going to employ when it comes to the rebuild versus the restock of the farm. Um, like you can't, you can, you know, if you keep selling, you're extending your rebuild. And we've talked so much about, are they going to try to compete while Soto's still here? And I feel like this year, if they sell again at the deadline, they're not going to try to compete again while Soto's still here. Yeah. So um, Bell is a huge piece of that. So what they do with Josh Bell to me is kind of it's the, gonna be the, the, pun, the bellwether of um, what their strategy is going to be. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but a couple of other storylines before we move on and preview the Diamondback series. Um, so, you know, through the what seven games that we saw previously, it was pretty consistent. But then in the Pirate series, we kind of saw experienced some aspects of the game that we hadn't yet particularly the bullpen blowing games when we're either tied or one run deficit or even have the lead we had some bullpen blow-ups but also the bad defense generally we had been playing pretty good defense 
through the first seven games and then it kind of just all fell apart. And a lot of that were, you know, on just a couple of the guys, but uh, you kind of see where this could go wrong very quickly, you know, starting to happen. Hopefully they kind of, you know, patch up the, the holes and the deficiencies, but you can kind of see where this might go wrong very quickly if they're not careful. Yeah. The, the, the uh, weaknesses are definitely on display. <laughs> yeah. But one weakness that has yet to show itself, if it is even a weakness at all, it very well may be a strength. It, I only say weakness because of, I guess, history, recent history in stats, but you know, I do need to put a little bit more respect on his name and that's Sean Doolittle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a legendary he continues to Sean be lights Doolittle. out and his velocity's back up. He's working in curveballs. He's doing everything that we would have wanted him to do in order to have a bounce back year. And, you know, it's showing through five appearances into the season. He's yet to allow a batter to reach. He gave up an inherited runner, but it was a very weird situation. There was runners on the corners with one out and the Nats almost turned a great double play, but the runner was safe on review by half Mm -hmm. a step at first. So the run scored. So unfortunately he allowed his first inherited runner to score, but he got the very next batter out. So uh, yeah, and still, he, and, you know, he, he got the, the ground ball that was needed. Right. Right. It just, yeah, no, no, not, not his fault at all. It yeah, just, exactly. It would have been awesome if like he was, I think it was his first pitch too. first pitch ground ball. They'll play out of the inning. Like that would have been awesome, but five appearances into the season, he's yet to allow a batter to reach base 14 up 14 down six strikeouts and only 46 pitches total 35 of them for strikes. So a great ratio there. He's looked great. And will he keep it up? No, because no reliever has ever gone, you know, on baseless or allowed no base runners <laughs> in an entire season. So uh, he's going to positively regress. No, I guess it's negatively regress towards the mean. Um, and, and, you know, his mean might be his career average and not his like average of the past two or three years, but he's been exceptional so far this season. So he was, you know, needed to be talked about. Yeah, I agree with that. He has been a revelation. I mean, I did not know what to expect. And I remember we talked about how, is this some kind of ridiculous retread? I mean, you know, we're just getting the band back together. Why are we bringing all these players back? It seems that um, Sean Doolittle has something left in the tank. So I'm, you said it's not going to last forever with the zero ERA, but, uh, yeah, he's been he's been absolutely spectacular so far. And, you know, a guy that you can go to in those, you know, we've talked a lot of times about how the save isn't always in the ninth. You know, sometimes right. you need somebody who can come in. And, I like him being know, deployed in the six, like right yeah, after the, the starter the comes out. Yeah, yeah I makes like a lot of sense. And I Just think a the, stabilizer. A team, B team thing he's been doing seems to be working really well. Although I think Doolittle seems to be kind of the floater if there is one. Um, where he kind of just comes in. He's the vet. Any Guys situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there have been some other really great stories in the bullpen. Um, Arano has been, you know, obviously he He's been good. didn't have his very best, you know, outing. Was it yesterday or I can't remember if it was game three or game four now, but. I think it was like um, game two, actually. Yeah, well, the one where he had his, yeah, maybe you're right. It was game two of the Pirate series, but. No, no, um, no, it know. would have been game three. You're right, you're right. Okay, well, whichever we it was, you know, he had, um you know, he had a, a pretty rough outing on that one, but you know, a guy who was a non-roster invitee and, and makes the opening day roster and has actually established himself as a, a pretty important part of the bullpen. It's a cool story. And so there's other good things going on in the bullpen, but Doolittle is absolutely the, 
the best thing going on out there right now, in my opinion. Actually, we might have to correct ourselves. Uh, I'm looking at his stats, and no, he was great all series long. He two and two thirds, two and two thirds, two hits, uh, no walks, no runs, six strikeouts. No, he was great. Finnegan was the one to have a blow up. Murphy had a blow up. C Shack. All right. Uh, I stand no, for Rana was great. Thinking. All right. Well, so he is another really, a really good story out there. And I always love, you know, everybody loves an underdog story when a guy kind of comes out of nowhere and, and establishes himself. But Davey clearly is starting to trust him and using him a lot. So yeah, he's, uh, he's been good. Yeah. And that's kind of been his story. Like he's, I think his career, career ERA is like a two, eight, four. Um, but he's dealt with so many injuries that he hasn't been able to latch on. So if he's healthy, it seems like he's good. And right now he's healthy and he's good. So hopefully it sticks. Um, something worth mentioning though, we're approaching, we're mid April right now, but we're quickly approaching the end of the month. Uh, come May 1st, the Nats and every team in baseball have to go from 2018 or 28 players on the roster to 26. So we're t- currently playing with two extra guys right now. And we have a double header tomorrow. So we're going to see a 29th. Uh, a third extra guy. So fascinating. I wonder that, who they're going to send down. It seems like one, if not both, will come from the bullpen. I would imagine probably just one comes from the bullpen because of how short these starters have been going. And that means one bench guy is gone too. Um, also worth mentioning that D Strange Gordon uh, hit the IL, seemingly COVID related. It has not been confirmed. Did they I say know it was non COVID illness. Maybe, um, I, I don't know. Not that it, it is what it is. Like he, he's sick. So as best soon as he gets over him, that, yeah. yeah, best wish, best wishes to him. So hopefully he recovers soon. Uh, they called up Donovan Casey, which is very interesting because Donovan Casey came over with Josiah Gray and KB Ruiz in the Max Scherzer trade Turner deal. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely raked last year in the minors. Has a tendency to strike out, but has a lot of power, and he plays all three outfield positions. So it's a very interesting candidate to call up. Uh, granted, Stevenson's not on the 40-man roster, so Donovan Casey was kind of the next man up if you needed outfield depth. Um, and Adrianza is still on the IL as well. So, you know, Harada Parra, Stevenson, not on the 40-man, uh, the thankfully. So they had to call up Donovan Casey. He has not played yet. It's been two or three games, I think three games. And he has it's not interesting played to call yet. him up and then not play him. Yeah. So Strange. I didn't love that. But with the doubleheader tomorrow, I imagine we probably see him uh, uh, probably in game two. So I'm very curious to see him. But I think he has a legitimate shot of forcing his way into the mm-hmm. major league club. Because again, Robles has not been hitting. Yeah. Lane Thomas has really not been hitting. Um, Yadiel has been hitting, but he's not your prototypical outfielder. But again, if you want him in the lineup, you have to put him in the outfield because you have Nelson Cruz occupying the H spot. But if you wanted a little bit more defensive flexibility, Donovan Casey still provides that because again, he plays all three outfield positions, whereas Yadiel only plays, excuse me, I have the hiccups. Um, Yadiel only plays left field, and even then, he doesn't really play left field, he's more of a DH that you have to throw out there in the field. Um, so he has a legitimate shot because again, if he can hit, he has some strikeout tendencies, but he has a lot of boom tendencies too. So with the defensive versatility and a little bit more upside than seemingly Robles or Thomas have right now, 
there is a path forward, but again, if they're not going to play him, then, you know, there is no path forward. So I'm curious to see how long that sticks. And if it is just until D strange Gordon gets back, which might be soon, but it, it's an IL stint. So I think the ILs isn't it back to 15 days now. I think it is. I can't remember. I know they were changing the rules. I have to look up the exact. So it's at, he's at, gone least, at least a couple of weeks. 15. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're going to see a little bit of him. So if he gets off to a hot start, it's worth keeping, keeping an eye on, but then the Nats would have a decision him, to make. Yeah. To make. I wonder if they've called them up to get a look at him before they have to um, shrink the roster to see. In, like, in this theory guy though, in theory, I, I doubt this. They want to do this. But you could send down Lucius Fox. You would have DSG to patrol the infield. But then again, you only have one backup infielder, so they probably won't do that. Um, but it it is interesting. But they have to get rid of two guys anyway. So seemingly uh, my bet would have been Austin Voth. I don't know now because yeah, he has the know. history. Uh, I think Patrick Murphy's definitely done. And Hunter Harvey was the uh, latest call-up. So he's probably the lowest man on the totem pole right now, even though he hasn't gotten much of a sample size here with the big club. Um, but yeah, I'd see Murphy if you're going to send anybody Murphy and both, but then you're taking away two from your bullpen. But you I have don't a little think both going to go down. I think they want to see if they, well, they might DFA him. I'm thinking, I don't think he has any more. Oh, options. that's right. He doesn't. I don't know if it, I, if it were me making this, so I think I'd keep him a little bit. But it, I know he's also worth mentioning. Tyler Clipper is going to get called up at some point. He's he has like four or five triple A appearances, no runs allowed. So they're going to call him up at some point. They, it was really just a formality putting him in triple A, like get, get him a couple of spring training appearances, so to speak. So they're going to call him up, but AAA. <laughs> they also have to clear space in the 40 man because they claimed a, an outfielder from the Blue Jays. I believe his name is Joshua Palacios immediately comes over, hits two home runs. So that's very exciting outfield depth that they didn't have previously. Um, so they would have to clear a spot on the 40 man for uh, um, Tyler Clippard. They also, if they just speaking on the 40 man, it doesn't really help their current roster go from 28 to 26. They could just DFA honorable Sanchez too. If they like what they're seeing from Rogers, I doubt they would. Um, but yeah, also, another definitely thing, a lot of interesting decisions they have to right. make in and the next that's, it's not, It doesn't even stop there because Jesse Doherty was tweeting about it today. The doubleheader puts the Nats in a precarious position because Josiah Gray was supposed to go tonight. Now he's going tomorrow, and then you don't have a day off till Monday. So because seemingly Gray and Adon are going tomorrow, neither of them would be on their full rest for Saturday. So you're probably going to have to call up someone on Saturday. Unless you go Espino for one of the starts tomorrow, but then you're kind of hampering your bullpen for the next six days until you have another have another off day. So again, it's a very precarious position. Uh, one name that got th- thrown out there for Saturday start is Aaron Sanchez, who I wouldn't mind seeing because he's a very high upset, low risk, high reward type guy. He's dealt with a lot of blisters and a lot of other injuries, but he he was an ERA title winner with the blue jays i think it was 2014 so it was a little bit ago but the potential is there um but he, same problem he's not on the 40 man either so you would have to dfa someone as well so it, it's a very interesting spot for the nats to be in and we're gonna have to see how these puzzle pieces not 
chess moves, whatever analogy you want to use to see how this roster shakes out. Cause they do need to get down from 28 to 26 by the end of the month, but also they need to kind of fill some spots before then as well. So there's going to be a yeah. lot of roster shuffling over the next two weeks. For sure. And I really hope that they um, come down on the side of getting the young guys some playing time instead of keep, you know, instead of either, you know, leaving them down in the minors or letting them go when, you know, in order to play a bunch of these older veterans who aren't part of the future. I know we've talked about that a ton, but I just, I, I still fail to understand some of the decisions that the front office is making with who to play and who not to play right now. Well, that's a good segue. Um, again, it doesn't help your, get you from 28 to 26, but it does help your 40 man. If you were to DFA Alcides Escobar, um, which I don't think would be that big of a, a hit. And then you could call up Luis Garcia, who was just at the AAA. Um, no, no, it <laughs> not wasn't. that big of a hit. Uh, because he, it can't be a pun because he would have to actually be capable of getting a hit for it to be a pun. Yeah. Um, but tr- Luis Garcia was just named the AAA player of the week. He absolutely raked. I think he hit 571 over the past week. S- the defensive liability is still there, but it, uh, but Ryan loves cares? to say, Ryan loves <laughs> to say, if you're hitting defense does not matter. And right now that's the case with Luis Garcia. If he can come up and hit 280 and, you know, provide some offense, like uh, what's LC's desk for hitting like 080. Yeah. <laughs> so, and clearly being a defensive liability is not um, something that keeps you off this roster. So right. I don't really want to hear anybody complain about Luis Garcia's defense when you can see who else we have. So one path forward I could see is in the next two weeks, if Alcides Escobar, you know, proves to be what we've seen through the first two weeks, DFA him, call up Luis Garcia. That clears at least one spot on the 40 man. You can add Tyler Clipper to it. And then you know, you don't have to necessarily release, uh, you know, Patrick Murphy or both. I'm pretty sure both is out of options. So you would have to DFA him and he would have to accept a minor league ass- assignment, uh, but at least gives you a little bit more flexibility. That's another way I see it, you know, playing out. Cause at that point, Luis Garcia would spend a month in the minors. That's probably less than what they would have wanted, but if he's going to hit like this, then he's going to force your hand to an extent. Yeah. And he is so. right now, his slash line for the season so far is 377, 411, 623 with a 1.034 OPS. Is that good? I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. good. So all of this is just to say that they're going to have a lot of decisions to be made. And it's kind of crazy to be saying that here in mid-April when you looked at this team on paper at the start of the year. It's like you know, the decision to be made is like, who the hell do we find? Like, we're just looking for warm bodies at this point. I mean, we're employing Michael Franco and Alcides Escobar, for Christ's sake. Right. Do you have both so, a pulse and a social security number? You're hired. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> um, so it's going to be interesting to see. But uh, I, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. I, not that it's any surprise, but I'm in the camp of letting these young guys play. I will take the boneheaded errors. Like, yes, they suck. And I'm you're absolutely going to comment on them when they happen. But listen, if he can provide a double here and there, shit, I'll I'll get over it. <laughs> like yeah, I am absolutely. so tired of these one pitch weak ground ball at bats from Alcides Escobar and these disappearing acts mm-hmm. and also yeah, and if I have to watch Michael Franco, Michael Franco 
Right. If I have to watch Michael Franco make the errors that he makes on defense, then I can, I can certainly make it through any errors on defense that Luis Garcia might, might commit. And he is a young guy developing. And so that's fine with me watching, you know, veterans past their prime veterans who shouldn't be on the roster make those kinds of errors is infuriating. Yeah, that's for certain. So we'll have to see. Um, but we're talking about now because it's something to keep an eye on. Some of these guys will be playing for their jobs and it's mid in the next two weeks. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. And it's not just isolated to the Nats too. Every team has to go from 28 to 26. So there's going to be, you know, more roster battles going on, but I do like that the MLB kind of implemented this rule to start with a larger roster and then continue to work your way down. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, to be able to call guys up, you know, on a whim and not have to actually like go through the formal process of calling them up and deal with all the options and stuff. Like that's what they did with Josh Rogers. So I think it makes a lot of sense, but we'll have to see how it shakes up the Nats roster going forward. But all right. Previewing the Diamondback series really quick. We're back at home. We have a four game set again, the double header tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this on release day. So game one tomorrow, uh, Madison Bumgarner is on the mound. I mean, still to me. He's a shell of himself, but he is still capable of a good starts. And with the Nats, doesn't really matter who's on the mound. We're going to make him look like Cy Young anyways. Uh, game two, um, I was going to say uh, Lucas Gilbert. No, it's Tyler Gilbert. Uh, he, he's been solid this year. Or, or sorry, this uh, he was solid last year, 2-2, two 3-1-5 two, ERA in 40 innings. So solid. I don't know a lot about him. The Diamondbacks kind of one of those random teams um and Wednesday, there's gonna be a don and gray right in those games we just don't know in which order yet possibly if i had to bet i th- man yeah i think that's probably what they'll end up doing is they'll they'll still go gray and a don and then saturday when you get to it they'll probably try to save espino throughout the week so espino can make a start on saturday if that if i had a like put my money down somewhere. That's what I bet they do is just try to spare Espino so he can go like four innings on Saturday. Mm, and Cause you have an off day time. Monday and you can kind of reassess then, but it doesn't make sense to throw Espino out there tomorrow um, and then have him burned definitely for the next like three days when you have games. Yeah. So that, that's my guess. Um, so it'll probably be gray game one as it's supposed to be versus Bumgarner and then a Don for game two again, as it's supposed to be. Game three, you get Fetty uh, versus Zach Davies. So expect a lot of offense in that game. <laughs> then uh, game four, you have Josh Rogers versus Zach Gallon. Expectations for the series? Um, I, I guess a split if I had to make a prediction. I, I mean, these are both bad teams, um, but obviously we just lost three out of four to a bad team and uh, we're worse, I guess, than the Pirates, which is... <laughs> which is hard to, hard to say. Yeah. That's, you know, that's owning up to who we really are right now, which, you know, this team though, it, it it just comes in flashes. Like they have some really good games where, you know, the pitching, you get a decent start from your pitcher and then the bullpen is good. and, And that's the path for a win because the offense with a couple of exceptions has been pretty anemic. Um, you know, their, their pitching isn't great. So we could see some big offense from, especially the top of the order again, and uh, if, if the bullpen, you know, if we can get five innings out of the starters and, and get 
decent performances from the bullpen as we mostly have been. Um, I think, you know, two or possibly three, I think they'll drop at least one in there. What are you thinking? I'm probably going to regret this. Nats take three of four. Um, It's it. I I think the Diamondbacks starting pitching is pretty good. Not in the grand scheme of things, but I just mean like how it lines up against the Nats. Um, because the Nats have basically three spots in their lineups where they're just giving you out any single game. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking away nine outs from the game and the Diamondbacks only have to get 18 outs as opposed to 27, you're making their lives a hell of a lot easier. Um, but the Diamondbacks lineup is even worse than the Nats lineup is. And Cattell Marte is by far and away their best player, and he's not hitting right now uh, all that well. So I think if the Nats start it, like Greg continues to have a good start, Adon bounces back, Fetty just do what he does, right? And um, Josh Rogers have that similar start to kind of what we've been seeing, like a very Fetty-esque start. There is a pathway and, you know, account for one of the Nats, you know, Nats going to Nat type games in there. They lose one. I think they can win three. But that's not saying this team's going to be good. That's just saying you're playing the Diamondbacks, right? So but I'm going to say they win three or four. I felt that way about the Pirates series too. I thought they would win three or four, and then- that makes a little bit more sense though because you played for like 11 days straight to start the season. But yeah. now with the off day today, I'm hoping that gives everyone a little bit more rest. This was kind of like a travel day because they came back from Pittsburgh yesterday, and Pittsburgh's not too far away. But came back from Pittsburgh yesterday and then had an off day today. And then, yeah, they'll play two tomorrow, but then they get an off day the following Monday. So they can kind of reset a little bit. I think they start strong. And then we'll talk about the Giants series on the next episode, but I think they get swept by the Giants. So yeah, I think that's it a all balances out. It all balances out. But I'm going to say they take three or four in the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are really, really bad. They are. And if there's one stat that I was reading when we were, I was uh, preparing for the, the show tonight was that they have a batting average on the road so far this season, the Diamondbacks of 175. So higher than Alcides Escobar <laughs> and Richter Robles. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it should be, a, it should be a fun series. I mean, again, we're, you know, we're watching for, like we talked about with this, in this episode, we're watching for the good things and, uh, yeah, the results truly don't matter. It's not like they're going to compete this season. So, you know, just take them as they come and enjoy the baseball. And hopefully we'll see some good stuff out of Josh Bell and Juan Soto to make the series. Yeah, I have high hopes for the pitching. Um, I'm really hoping the pitching comes through because as we've seen when the Nats have been competitive this year, it's because of the pitching. Um, so if the Nats are going to win these games, it's going to be because the pitching feasts on that terrible Diamondbacks lineup and not because the offense goes off. The offense could go off because any one of these pitchers, especially Zach Davies, could blow up. But I think, you know, if the 10 game or nine game sample size tells us anything, it's going to be the pitching that keeps us competitive. So I'm, I have high hopes for the pitching. If um, they're ever going to have a great series, it ought to right. Be this <laughs> is this is the time to do it. All right, so that does it for the Nats preview and recap and all that stuff. We'll be back on Thursday to preview the Giant series as well as recap the Diamondback series and this NL West homestand swing. But before we get out of here, we're going to end the show the way we always do with our one big thing. Amanda, 
What do you got? No You're hockey. Gonna love this. It's hockey. You're going to love it. The Cavs made the playoffs. Why? For those like, of you who aren't paying attention, because it annoys you. Season. I know. I do it because it annoys you. And there's so much just, baseball stuff to talk about. I know. We just it. talked about baseball stuff for an hour. I could talk about hockey stuff for one minute. We talked one team <laughs> out of the 30. Uh, anyway, I'll try not to interrupt you when you do your one big thing. Um, I just <laughs> yeah, want to point right. out. You I, me every other part of the show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I saw a tweet earlier from Brian McNally, which I loved and thought everybody needs to know when we all get very frustrated with the caps. Those of us who are caps fans, there's been a lot of first round exits over the years, but they have made the playoffs 32 of the past 39 years, which I think is an unbelievable stat that I wanted to make sure you all know about. So there you go. That's my one big thing. The caps are in the playoffs again, improbable Stanley cup run incoming. They are going to get smacked so hard by the Panthers. the Panthers are gonna just wreck them They're, you know, like it, it's gonna hurt my soul I to know. watch them get smacked by the Panthers and also know any goal that Ovi stores scores does not count towards his total like that's going to suck I know you know what that's a part of it I hadn't even considered but yeah it's gonna suck because then typically it's like oh caps lose but Ovi scores now it's Cavs lose Ovi scores but it doesn't count so it just gets worse that's a very good point it's a very good point all right what's your one big thing um I'm going to take it back to what we started the show with and talk about broadcasting a little bit because I heard uh uh, it was a small clip from the Dodgers game I know it's Oral Hershiser I don't know who his partner is I'm trying to stall while I look it up (laughs) um but it, there was a really funny back and forth with uh, Julio Arias's start um, the other night. And he was coming out or, well, he was in the bullpen or sorry, in the, uh, the dugout trying to, in the, God, I I'm terrible at multitasking. It is Joe Davis. And I believe Earl Oral Hershiser is the, uh, the Dodgers crew, but, they were ta- examining uh, Julio Arias uh, as he's in the dugout. Weren't sure if Dave Roberts was going to send him back out there or if he was done. So they were literally just watching him. The camera was on him. And <laughs> uh, Arias takes a, a, a drink of water. And I believe it was Oral Hershiser goes, you know, just look at that swig of water. That doesn't look like a swig of water that tells you he's coming out of the game. And, and it, it was kind of just like them going back and forth, like really analyzing every single mannerism that Julio Arias is doing. And That's then Arias is just kind of just like walking around the dugout, no jacket on or anything like that. But then he goes up to a teammate and fist bumps him and they both go, ah, and I think Hershiser goes, ah, misread the swig, misread the swig. And it's just like one, like. It's the, the little shit like that, it. <laughs> right? It's the little shit like that, where it's just, I mean, that's just gold and just goes to show you what a good broadcast team can do. But it, it was awesome. Like Hershiser was like bump. He's like, I got to get better about reading my swigs. Like I gotta, I gotta know what a good, like a, a, a competitive swig swig looks like. <laughs> it, it was just yeah. like really, really funny. Um, so it, it just goes back to the broadcasting thing. Like, you know, you appreciate good broadcasting when you see it so uh, i just thought that was really funny i wanted to mention that because i love those audio clips that just go by i mean we could talk about the uh the yankees uh the yankees radio guy who thinks every time john carlos stanton hits a ball it's a home run but it turns out to be a warning track out like that's 
that's dynamite too, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, unless yeah, you're not a Yankees fan. No, yeah. So. Well, those are those. Sometimes they're unintentionally funny, but the Oral Hershiser ones was intentionally funny. So that's- yeah, no, the, <laughs> that, that one was good because they were like, "Look at that swig. Does that look like a swig of a guy who's coming out of the game?" I don't think so. <laughs> and then they well, see no, the well, fist bump. Well, sometimes you've got dead air to fill. What are you gonna do? You right, gonna do and then they see the fist bump. They're like, "Ah, misread the swig." <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it was funny. It was good stuff. That is awesome. But awesome. Speaking of good stuff, we will be back on Thursday with another episode uh, recapping the Diamondback series. I guess it won't be over yet, but recapping the three games that had been played to that point and previewing the Giants series as well. But in the meantime, be sure to check us out on Twitter at Half Street Hockey and at HalfStreetHockey.com. We got content coming out every single day. Uh talking about the Nats and just everything baseball related, including Monty, who's been killing it with the college baseball and prospect talk. The amateur update is, I mean, it's electric. It's must, must consume baseball baseball, content. You have to listen. Yeah. I mean, you, you legitimately learn, like we do some episodes here at half street high heat where you probably don't learn a thing, but with the amateur update, you're learning something every single episode, but it's like fun learning. It's not like that, you know, homeschool, type learning that amanda teaches it's it's not boring this is this is fun learning that monty does so be sure to check out the amateur update as well as all the shows on our patreon amanda show pitch perfect will have its second episode this week most likely um and matt had a five and two record gambling last week through the pickoff which the which is the half street high heat gambling show we're kind of tinkering with the format of that. That's probably going to be more article based. So you'll have to have access to the Patreon to see the picks, but we'll, we'll uh, include some podcasts here and there. So you get some audio content as well as like betting strategies there. And then the half street high heat fantasy hour with myself and CK uh, right now, we're still one episode a week. We will probably go to two episodes a week as we get into the dog days of summer. And, you know, in the important part of the fantasy baseball season as well. So still great content on the Half Street High Patreon. So check out patreon.com slash Half Street High Heat. $10 a month gets you everything. Or if you don't want to do all of that, that's perfectly fine. There's plenty of mix and match options as well for you that are uh, more cost effective for your wallet. So be sure to check that out. And obviously check out the Half Street High Heat YouTube channel. Hit that bell. Subscribe. Trey killing it with YouTube videos. He has some great stuff in the works. Cannot wait to see that when it airs all right amanda you got anything else before we head out uh no just make sure you're checking out the og website as well lots and lots of great articles there and i said that uh, i promoted did you? it i missed that when, yeah. when we were doing I, there's the just so much to talk I about know. now <laughs> it seems like i don't but that yeah that was one of the first things i said yeah they're definitely you know visit every day because there's always new stuff and uh yeah you can keep up with the nats i know this time of the year i i sometimes it's hard to like get back into the the rhythm of baseball every day so it's easy to miss stuff so uh, if you miss anything you know make sure you check out all the various and sundry things that are available from half street high heat because we will keep Ooh, you up to date big word all right but again be sure to follow the show on twitter at half street high heat amanda at a white 7877 and myself at the coach moose we appreciate you listening we will be back on thursday and in the meantime Let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go Nats.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.